0: Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Making Milestones podcast. Today's podcast has a very special guest. I have invited Dr. Thomas Teske to speak on the podcast. He's a veterinarian that specializes in hoof care, and we're going to talk about all things hoof care and whole horse health, as well as shoes, versus barefoot and other sorts of things like that. I'm super excited to have him on the podcast. He's been a very outspoken proponent for barefoot horses and has also shared a lot of great information regarding that and made some changes in the industry in doing so. So thank you so much to Thomas for coming on this podcast and I hope you all enjoy this discussion.
1: I am Dr. Teske, Thomas Teske. Wow, it's been uh, 28 years since i graduated from colorado state university and i practiced in arizona in a clinical equine environment for the first 10 years and then after that i headed back to my family ranch and roots in central arizona and started keeping horses instead of cows that was (laughs) <laughs> my family has always kept more cows and had cow-calf operation, but I started keeping herds of horses where I really started to be able to, it felt like I had a living laboratory at that point where I could really watch some things. And uh that's when I really started to feel into the holistic possibilities with horse care. I, it was only five years out of school when I, I started to really question a lot of the hoof care and dental care and, and a lot of other things that I had learned with the Western veterinary medical approach, which was, was awesome for sure. But it, but it also, uh, left me hanging in, in a lot of areas. So I, I really felt like I had to go back to school to, to learn some other things about hoof care and dental care and so boy it seems like time flies and now uh i finally wrote a book uh on what i think holistic horse care involves and put that out and that's been well received at least by people who are at least partially open to hearing that sort of thing and uh, but i'm happy to be here and and just talk about where we're headed with with all of this it yeah. seems like we're really have an opportunity here to direct where we're going
0: 100%. I think there's a lot of change that's on its way in the horse world which is lovely but there's still so much outdated stuff that I think leads to people rejecting information that is accurate and true just because it goes against like the popular grain. So, I guess one of my first questions for you would be like pertaining to hoof care are there any areas that you view as like the biggest hurdles to overcome or the most common issues that you see in horses that need addressed uh, or anything like that?
1: Yeah. <clears throat> so that brings up for me probably the biggest reason or two that horses would not be comfortable on their own feet. Uh, they, we know that horses are born with a set of feet that would be, Fine on any terrain if they had the opportunity to develop and exercise and get strong on whatever terrain was being demanded of them mm-hmm. and i've I've proven this with all different kinds of breeds of horses and different kinds of terrain and that really shined a light on the fact that um, one of the biggest challenges people have with Pursuing natural hoof care is providing the other things that bring success. And that would be enough movement on a varied kind of terrain that would be stimulating and not not too hard, not too soft, not too muddy, not too full of filth or uh, not being able to get dried out at least once in a while. Uh, So depending on where you live in the world, it can be more or less challenging to find the space and the climate that, uh, would help you be successful. I, uh, being in Europe this summer, I, I've really gotten to practice what I preach and build a track and get some gravel and get some sand and, you know, basically make a habitat where being in Arizona for all of my life, it, it was so easy, really. I just, You can get a callus to form on a horse's foot literally within days. Mm -hmm. And here, where it's wetter, just much more challenging. So, uh, you know, there's things with trimming also that are important, but I wouldn't say that's at the top of the list uh, Mm -hmm. because I know that horses that move enough trim their own feet and have the best feet. So, therefore, you know, no matter what your environment is, if you provide enough movement on some varied terrain – you win, and the horse wins, and they they're happy, and they're sure-footed. So that's that's what that brings up for me when you ask me about the hoof care part.
0: Yeah, and then I know you've talked a lot about on your pages about traditional horseshoes and how they can damage the hoof. So I also would want to ask you about that because that for, from where I live, generally speaking, there are there are some farriers who are starting to do stuff differently but most farriers still here are still using traditional steel open-heeled shoes. And mm-hmm. it's far less common to see people using like frog support pads or using types of composite or rubber shoes in place of the steel shoes. So I just wanted to ask your thoughts on that.
1: Okay. Uh, well, it reminds me of just having a, an evolving perspective when we know better, we do better. And so what I've learned and what I've what I've been able to focus on these years is how to be successful without using steel as a material next to a horse's body, in their foot or in their mouth or or whatever. It's 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 become abundantly clear to me that steel is an absolutely inappropriate material to put on a horse's foot because it antagonizes the normal Uh, form and function of that foundation of the horse now you have to remember that many horses coming out of shoes probably if you look in their eyes and look at their expressions sometimes they're like what the heck i mean because all of a sudden their foot begins to twist and move and flex and some of them get actually a, a bit concerned about but basically it awakens. Uh, so much neurology and circulation and flow and sensation in the whole body that, uh, I think we underestimate how, who, just how vital it is for earth connection and, and good feedback from the horse to the earth and back and forth. So, uh, I, we have better materials. Bottom line, we have much much better materials that are dynamic and complement instead of antagonize normal of mm-hmm. form and function.
0: Yeah, I find it interesting how common steel shoes still are because even if you just think about it from like the perspective of a human, like you would never throw steel shoes on a person because you'd know that it would create more shock. Uh so it it's interesting to me how behind the horse world is on that and like I'm guilty of that too in previous years where I didn't see any problem with it but then because of people like you reading your posts and other people who are talking about modernizing hoof care it kind of was like a light bulb moment where I was like oh that totally makes sense it's really weird to put a metal rigid structure on the foot of a thousand pound animal who's taking so much wear and tear on their legs every time they, move, like when we're asking them to jump and all that. So it's super interesting to me to, yeah, be able to talk to you and hear you say all this because it's something that I do think is so far behind. Um, leading up, like leading up, that leads up to my next question, which is like, as a veterinarian, how correlated with hoof care and overall hoof health or hoof dysfunction do you think a lot of the soundest problems we see in horses are?
1: Hmm. Wow. You know, it's truly foundational and, and, and thank you for that feedback on, on how it comes across because I think that is important for, you know, me with letters after my name, DVM, to be able to find the words to not only explain what's going on, but have it hopefully ring true enough for people that they would at least entertain the idea. So, so thanks for that, but, what this what's happening with this is we have and western medicine is not as good at this as other eastern types of medical influence that understands flow of energy and and feedback mechanisms but we are we are getting a much better picture with our diagnostics where western medicine is developing some pretty cool uh, machines that are going to be able to identify uh magnetic fields, energy flow and so what's happening with horses that are unsound in their feet is it translates to a compensation, think about it as a compensation or a bracing or a modification that they have to make with their posture to deal with something that doesn't feel quite secure enough strong enough is it going to hold me you know can I blast off as fast as I want or am I going to have to hold back because the feedback I'm getting is this is a lot of concussion or this is some pain or this is too much twist but if the health was there people would be so so impressed and happy with wow I thought my horse was showing spirit and you know a a great Uh, expression of energy, but now, this is, this is so common, right? To people report that, wow, I, they've exceeded my expectations with what I thought was possible. And that's just the power of them having solid feet, no matter where the lameness is. Now, of course, most lameness is, uh, statistically, you know, from the fetlock down for sure, but no matter where the lameness is in a horse's body, if the hoof capsule in that foot is able to do its job with torquing and twisting and absorbing energy and dissipating it correctly with good circulation and neurology the whole body is basically feeling better because you're not making the body do something it wasn't designed to do that so much of this force and energy is made was intended to be handled by solid structure and if it's not there it's passing that responsibility to other anatomical regions in the body that like well that that's wear and tear on them that they weren't really de- designed to do so it gets to be a fierce uh, vicious cycle if uh, if their feet aren't feeling good and aren't formed well
0: that totally makes sense um sorry i'm just thinking of all the common uh topics that I see horse people bring up pertaining to hoof care to oftentimes I find that a lot of people feel helpless to like help their horse transition to barefoot or know where to start and there's also a lot of different problems that might arise when they're trying to transfer them into the type of holistic lifestyle that would promote good hoof care. So I guess the next question I would have is for people who are struggling with laminitis with their horses, what are your thoughts on managing that in a realistic way in the modern environment? And I suppose, what would you suggest to horse owners who that's one of their concerns when they're trying to think of a new lifestyle for their horse and approach hoof care?
1: mm-hmm so specifically for laminitis which is you know uh often been the just such a challenging problem depending on where you live in the world with either a wet environment and or so many calories growing from the ground and the trees and everything it's uh to me it's not so much all the calories it's the fact that the animals are not utilizing those calories like they used to do because if we one thing we can realize pretty straightforwardly is the horses are no longer our transportation uh they're not plowing the fields they're not taking us back and forth to town and and this was every day you know this is they were our vehicles and so now we still want horses around and they're in these similar areas and it's just too much so uh if we sit on the couch and eat potato chips and, you know, candy and, or if we let our kids just overeat that all the time, you know, that's, that's going to be predictable with diabetes and obesity and metabolic problems. So what we have to come up with is not only realizing that that's the issue, but make spaces that are promoting movement without giving them all that free access to the highest sugar diet that uh, they were getting. Now, I, I I really like live food. I like horses that have access to grazing and different types of grass and brush and trees and chewing on this and that. And as long as you keep them moving back and forth from a water source to wherever you put your hay nets or your hay or wherever they go to graze and then back and forth and they have to cross some gravel on the way to and from there you you will not end up seeing their feet literally blow off the ends of their legs it's to me it's like watching all of this heat and metabolic craziness in their body literally uh, blow their hoof capsules right off the ends of their legs it's like this energy needs to be utilized and we also need to Increase the fiber and decrease the sugar that uh, they're having to deal with because they're not being asked to uh, perform and work and plow and and drive. And uh, now there are people that do endurance and people that do ride their horses every day, and they aren't going to have near the challenge uh, with keeping laminitis at bay. Or because they are utilizing those calories, and their horses are. More fit. So we could really take a hint and and really take a good clue from looking at the horses that are in these environments, but not getting laminitic. They're the ones that are fit and exercised, played with a lot, and it doesn't have to be riding. You just stimulate movement. That's, that's top of my list.
0: Cool. That's really good to know, because, yeah, I think that's that's one of the primary concerns, I'd say, at least for people, especially in my area, because I live in a really wet climate here in the lower mainland of British Columbia. And then also I've heard a lot of people struggle with this in the UK where they have really, really rich grass during the wet season. Um so that's that's something that I've heard a lot from people who are wanting to or like as, as a kind of an excuse almost for not providing horses with adequate turnout. I've heard that brought up a lot. So it's really interesting to hear your perspective on it because the movement is so important. And then we have, unfortunately, a lot of people who keep their horses stabled or in really small paddocks and then don't necessarily go about transitioning them to summer pasture very well. If the horse is like existing in a little paddock throughout the wet season and then they just chuck them out on grass throughout the spring and summer. And then that can be used as an excuse to not provide the space the next time around. So it's super interesting to hear.
1: Yeah. We could all get a PhD in nutrition and still be learning something all the time. It's, it's a, it's a fascinating subject and learning yeah. about how to. How to improve our soils, how to improve the diversity of the grasses that are more healthy out there. Cause keep in mind, a lot of these original places are meant for production of milk or meat or uh, producing a, an animal product. And we just want to maintain our horses. We don't want to sell them by the kilo, you know, like there's still some places in the world that do, but we're, we're not interested in doing that. We want to maintain them for long, lifespan. So let's let's look at what we can do to help our environment uh, yeah. be conducive to that.
0: Then the next question I'd have too is also related to environment because I know a lot of other people, like again, especially in like really wet areas like where I live and then also in the UK um, with thrush. And I know that in my experience at least, there isn't as much of an education on how damaging and painful it can be as yes, there should be. Like growing up, I from what I can recall with all the horses that I worked with, so many of them were thrushy and we were just taught that it was how the hoof is supposed to normally look and no one really dealt with it or when they, they waited until it got really bad and then they would treat it with like copper tox or something. Um, mm-hmm. but what are your thoughts on like thrush treatment and prevention?
1: Okay yeah it's a good- good point that you make that we get used to seeing what we're seeing and it kind of gets out of our mind's eye as to what we might expect otherwise or hope for or but it's there's definitely light at this end of this tunnel here when because I know how frustrating that can be to always have the smelly foot and the the junk and the crud and so what you need to do is just make sure your nutrition uh, minerals uh, are are adequate not excessive not because certainly minerals can be at toxic levels too but I, what i see more commonly is not enough copper not enough zinc uh, make sure selenium is and how do you do this you can either test your forage or your grass or you can simply talk to people in your area that are aware of what that geographic area is like for the forage and what minerals are normally deficient or not. And then just supplement, uh, it doesn't hurt to, to try a good vitamin mineral supplement. And a lot of times you, uh, improve the immune system and they're more resistant to infection. Then beyond that in environment again, uh, Horses don't prefer to stand in filthy areas if they have some other comfortable places to be could be a sandy area some some gravelly area just make sure the gravel has some depth to it so it's not like marbles on a hard surface that's what we want and then that travel back and forth to exfoliate to imagine imagine as they go around corners and race back and forth in the little track that you make they're Cleaning and exfoliating all of those cracks and crevices alongside the frog and the central sulcus and, uh, and then every, every once in a while, at least every few days, if not more often, uh, clean it out, check it out, uh, and see if, see if there's anything that's hiding. Uh, when I teach trimming, I'm very, very strict about make sure we check the central sulcus central sulcus and make sure we check the white line of the bar back in the in the heel area there and very important to not allow stuff to hide Uh, but that's not going to be a problem with horses that are moving enough to polish the bottom of their feet and so it's a cleaning cleaning action that they have uh, simply by moving across these varied terrains again and then as far as topical you know, say you have some cases you're trying to rehabilitate or or get better. Use a brush. Use uh, like a kitchen floor brush or even a wire brush if they can handle it eventually to exfoliate and clean. And then uh vinegar, either white vinegar or apple cider vinegar is good because it it's a low pH. It's more acidic, which uh bacteria and fungus uh don't get along with very well that's why it's good for preserving food when we make pickles and stuff so think about vinegar um, be careful with chemicals that would be harsh next to your skin or in your mouth uh, because some of these feet have wounds or or the tissue is getting really really close to a sensitive dermal uh, interface and some of these can be pretty caustic uh, pretty irritating so that's why I prefer uh, the vinegar type of stuff or your essential oils also you know so many of you are really on top of it with uh, mixtures of oils whether it be tea tree oil or mixed with lavender or frankincense or so many different cool combinations that are working in your area so network with people who are uh, using these kinds of things too and it uh, really helps.
0: Perfect. Thank you so much. That's so informative. And I was also just thinking of some of the articles that I've read from you that talk about, um like, the atrophy of the hoof and how open-heeled metal shoes can contribute to that. So I wanted to ask you a little bit about that again, too, because I find that that's something that a lot of horse people are in denial of. And they kind of start to view it as... um like a rabid barefooter mindset where they think that people are just saying that like it's their way or the highway. Like you should like if you ever put your horse in shoes, you're horrible rather than more of like a like a statement on the material and um I guess shape of the shoes that we use nowadays. Mm -hmm. And that was good like your articles are some of the first ones that I have read on that. So um I I yeah I'd be really interested in hearing your perspective on that.
1: Okay, so for the most part, our domestic horses are toe strong and heel weak, which means that given their level of movement and quality of movement, not just that shuffling along like, oh, I'm bored in my environment. Oh, another day. I'm going to go get a drink. I'm going to eat my hay or I'm going to wait for dinner to come. There's so many things that are get boring. And so standing around <clears throat> when when horses are not moving standing around they're shifting weight towards their toes that ends up that kind of stimulation even though it's kind of retarded stimulation it, it makes for stronger toes and weaker heels the way you build heels is with twist and torque and acceleration and movement and stop and go and turn and just that animated spirited movement that we love watching in horses that's what builds heels so i try to get people excited about the possibility because we know that this can turn around we we just have so many case studies where we actually measure the size of the hoof the width of the frog the length of the frog and we watch it just change over time and, and develop density and Develop some just resilience, some, some good bounce. Like we, I teach people how to feel between the heel bulbs, that tissue, what we call the digital cushion and how that responds to pressure. And when we first take shoes off, I say, okay, you know, you watch this. And, and by the way, I, I don't start with people unless they want to give me four months. They have to agree to give me four months. Um, rain or shine, <laughs> uh, to help them out and do as good a job as they can to do what I am, uh, what I'm saying, what I'm recommending. Because within three to four months, I can grow grow out a new heel that's stronger, that's that's growing because of the stimulation, because of using the boots and pads or the disinfection. You know, getting the thrush out of there, getting getting a stronger heel so to me that is such a such a critical thing to get not only the realization that the horses are heel weak but we can actually measure it so you you talk about eye training for people whether you you can show them videos of horses that are moving a certain way or reacting a certain way and even with you and behavior it's so so apparent sometimes how much horses are able to handle, and then it's just like one more thing, and then just like have this big overwhelming reaction. You think, oh, what's wrong? It's like, well, it's just one more thing that it's just it hurts, and it's just it's too much. So, this is where people really get can get excited about moving up a level in animation performance. I show them how to measure and watch this. Change in form that happens in the back of that horse's feet, the increasing size of the frog, and the density, and we follow that with pictures. I, I, they gotta, they gotta send me pictures. I say, hey, it's time for pictures. Don't forget. And I, I have just laptops full of these case studies and these pictures showing these uh, transformations, which just, it's really, it really keeps me going because I. uh, Rehabilitation can often get depressing, but then I remember, well, it's going to get better. Just, just watch. Uh, And if they do what I say, uh, they're very happy.
0: That's so good to know. Um, And then, kind of to piggyback off of that question, I would say, do you have like preferred like brands of hoof boots or types of shoes that, like, if people are going to shoe or if their horse needs a little bit more protection during. The hoof rehab journey that you would recommend or, uh, even just like stylistically, if you don't have like specific brands, like what type of, um, mm-hmm. boot or shoe you'd like.
1: Yeah. Um, I'm most familiar with <clears throat> some of the boots that are, uh, they have the Velcro type attachments in the front, whether it's like, uh, the Cavallo type design that, uh, it's easy on and easy off and, it's a little more little more bulky, but what's nice about it is you can put a pad inside of it and it'll still hold the whole foot and it's good for a beginner. And so many times these horses feet are gonna change shape and even change size. So we don't necessarily wanna invest in the top of the line uh form fitting, ergonomically shaped hoof boot. Uh maybe wait for at least one or two hoof cycles, you know, wear out a couple of pairs of Cavallo type boots or easy care type boots that are a little bit more generically made and uh, a little bit more, you know, sized for a a variation in uh, length and width of hoof and work with a trimmer who understands about fitting and preventing where are preventing rubbing uh, sores on heel bulbs so uh, there's many good tricks out there using whether it's powder or socks or, or a certain kind of pad or whatever to avoid those sorts of problems but uh, later on when you are looking at your much nicer looking foot and you take your measurements now you can get something like a scoot boot or a renegade or something that uh, is just kind of going to stay more form fitting, more more sleek. Uh, people are even j- jumping and you know doing all sorts of uh performance activities with these boots uh, if they need them at all, of course, uh, depending on the terrain and the uh, situation. So that's what I would think it would be good to start with uh a little cheaper ones that uh aren't uh, quite as uh, custom you know, and then you can move towards a little bit more expensive but these these boots outlast they pay for themselves for the, what it costs to shoe a horse oh my gosh you, you're going to save a ton of money and you only need them when you are going to go on your rides or on your performance uh, runs or, or whatever so it, it's much much kinder and much nicer and much more healthy to go this route
0: that's super good to know. And then with regards to, like, if someone wanted to do, like, shoes or, like, glue-on shoes or even, like, nail-on shoes as opposed to, like, a hoof boot, are there any types of brands that you would recommend or certain types of shoes? Or, like, would you have a definitive preference for glue-on versus nail-on and so on and so forth?
1: Yeah. So, in Arizona, I, I've i only needed to use a glue-on type of uh, shoe uh, a few times simply because of Low humidity, very dry. I can, I can get a hoof to get more solid and more calloused very quickly. Now being in Europe or visiting these other places in the, like your part of the world or Georgia or Southeast Australia, places that are just so wet and things are really not drying out. I, I can see where a glue on would be the way to go, which is what I would prefer because I don't want to drive nails into the hoof wall. That causes damage and allows bugs to invade, etc. So uh, I would definitely be going with glue on. And they, that technology is pretty impressive. They, they stay on and they're not coming off until you know a month or six weeks later or whatever that uh, you have to tear them off with the nippers and. Of course, you're going to have to deal with some amount of smell and whatnot that can hide underneath these shoes sometimes. Some of them have a little bit of an open spot on the bottom that allows a little bit of air to circulate. Uh, sometimes you need a full pad there because you're protecting the entire sole, and it's important to do that in some cases. So uh, a lot of times we use medicinal clay like artemud or other types of medicinal clay materials to basically occupy a space and have a little bit of disinfecting or antiseptic quality while that glue-on is in place. But I would definitely say that my target is eventually to not have to use these. Uh, I, would, I would much rather use this as a way to get out of the rut, out of the hole that this horse is in rehabilitation-wise, and if we're doing things correctly with diet and terrain, et cetera, the same things I keep talking about, then we're not gonna have to use the gluons uh maybe endurance uh things like that, some people that just don't like messing with boots you know i I can kind of relate to that. they can kind of be a pain in the butt sometimes, but they are the best option, even better than gluons because you can. You can check the whole foot. You can check everything. Nothing can hide from you. And you can take them on and off, uh, day to night, today to night. And so it's much more versatile to have uh, a nice boot pad combination.
0: That's super good to know. Thank you so much for all that information. Um, and mm-hmm. yeah, like I, I think that's, there's so many like types of boots and, um, like hoof uh like, shoes and whatnot on the market that I think it's really overwhelming for some people to try to figure out which ones to get. Like, I, I, I've i trialed a bunch of the um, mainstream, like, hoof boot brands before I kind of settled down and decided which ones to get. Um, mm-hmm. And it was kind of over... It cost a lot of money. First of all, I was kind of overwhelmed, and <laughs> like, it was difficult to decide which was my favorite, and so it's nice to get, for like anyone to get like a little bit of, um, insight on what, where they should kind of go about trying to, um, start. Um, one of the things too that I noticed with hoof boots that can be difficult is when horses have more oval shaped hooves in the beginning when they're, um, adjusting, it can be difficult to find brands that will, feel like, especially really underground heels. That was one of the problems that I, um, that I kind of, um, Ran into with my gelding because he had a super underrun hoof. Um, and yep. especially for avoiding heel rubs from the boot, like even if you can get their foot into the boot, it can be hard to avoid the rub. So are there any, like, um, I guess tips or tricks that you have, um, to, yeah. I guess, mitigate the risk of that?
1: Yeah. Um, uh, so with that type of hoof shape, uh, that, that basically goes right back again to the toe strong heel weak scenario, which <clears throat> how we're going to deal with that is taking toe length from the top uh, as aggressively as we can over time. And you have to, you know, be respectful to start with. But before long, you're going to be basically pushing that toe, toe back so that that foot gets back underneath that horse and not so run forward with that underrun conformation. So we're working on the shape. We're, we're getting it more round, more round. We're getting it to stand up. That's how we're rehabilitating the heel also. Cause as soon as we take toe back, we're building, we're asking the heel to do a little bit more work. And as long as it's not too much, uh, it's going to start to build and respond. And then with some of these underrun, think about, uh, getting a wedge pad out of a neoprene or closed cell foam type of pad. And what I like to do is buy just a cheap neoprene saddle pad or foam saddle pad because when you buy individual hoof boot pads you spend all this money per pair and the horses kind of smash them down and you have to change them after a couple weeks sometimes so just just look for some cheap uh, saddle pad or other type padding material in the uh, home depot or building store type whatever you have to might find some materials that what you want is some bounce. Just when you're feeling these pads, just squish them with your fingers and and feel if it bounces. You don't want necessarily like the memory foam type stuff. You want something that will bounce back because uh, that's a give and release, give and release stimulation to the whole bottom of the foot. But you can cut these <clears throat> and make these into wedges to put the thicker wedge towards the heel for the underrun uh for the smashed heel, the heels you're trying to rehabilitate, uh, get them up a little bit, and it's dynamic. That's the beauty of it. You're not using, you know, a three-degree uh, plastic pad with a KB aluminum uh, egg bar shoe. That's not dynamic. It's too rigid. It's not allowing the torque and the flex. Uh, that's the beauty of just using these bouncing dynamic materials that. So you can use that wedge back there and then use medicated hoof powder in your boots like a gold bond or like a, a good baby powder, uh, talcum type powder, because it'll absorb some moisture and it'll prevent uh, sores a lot of times from developing on heel bulbs. And then don't get complacent and not check at least once a day when you're in rehabilitation or you're going on a ride. Uh, those boots come off. When you get home, or if they're having to be in boots for, you know, first few days or weeks after coming out of shoes, then make sure you check it every day. Let it air out. Just let them stand in a comfortable place. Make a padded area. They can stand and get the things to dry out. um, Brush everything off. Clean. Disinfect if you need to. Reapply your hoof powder after things are dry. Use a sock if you have to. There's, there's so many good ideas on so many of these websites. Now uh, I could talk to you for days and days about all these things, but that's a, that's a couple of things that come to mind on that.
0: That's so good to hear. Like, yeah, you've given so much amazing advice. I think that's really great. Um Do you have any um parting words or anything that you'd like to kind of leave with the podcast before we finish up? Cause we're nearing the 45 minute mark now. Um, So is there anything that you think is important to like leave with people or that you'd like to kind of, I guess, pass on to listeners to help them with like their hoof care journey and just any type Mm -hmm. of holistic horse care?
1: Wow. That's a, that's the best question ever. I, I would like people to know that I care about their process. I want to support them in their process. This is important stuff. This, this is beyond just what we're doing with Improving horse welfare, horse care, uh, a holistic mindset, but with what you're doing and what your clients are trying to learn and trying to do better by receiving this education, being open to this type of education and set of ideas, this is just pure gold to me. That this is really, this really lights a, a fire in me to keep going and and stay in touch with people who really want to pursue this uh, because we really are coming up against uh maybe not against we're coming into imagine you know a wave form that's going to be amplified and and we want to we want to ride this wave we don't we don't want to get crashed by it and and pushed down into the surf we want to we want to ride this wave that's coming to improve welfare improve horse care and lead by example this is the most powerful thing we can do no matter what the naysayers are saying no matter who is going to tease you about your orange hoof boots no you just focus on how this is improving health improving form and function and you are honoring the nature of the horse and you're honoring yourself what you feel is right you, you you feel this you know that There's something important here and this is going to help us all out. So everybody wins the horses, the people, the environment, our earth. This, it's important that we all stay in good communication about this. So I'm here to support and, uh, I love getting messages and pictures and, uh, I eventually get to them all still. Maybe there'll be a day when I, when I can't, but, uh, I do like, uh, visiting with you guys and uh, I hope we can still learn something every day.
0: Thank you so much. And then do you have any pages that you like people can follow you on um, that you'd like to share? And then also the name of the book that you wrote or anything like that, that you'd like to be in case people want to look up more of your work.
1: Oh yeah. Thank you. Uh, So last name is spelled uh, T as in Tom, E S K E Y Tesky And you can find my website uh insight to equus e q u u s equus.com and that's uh where the book is that i wrote it's uh 260 some pages full color i've got spiral and hardbound uh, i'll ship it anywhere in the world to you it's self published uh, it's it's kind of my life's work. Uh, I put the best of the best stuff in there for you to look at and digest and some funny stuff, some stories, some technical stuff, some statistics, you know, all, all kinds of stuff for whatever you might be interested in. And on Facebook, uh, Thomas Teske veterinary insights. You can find my page where I, uh, post little videos or little things, uh, which I hope to do more of and uh, so that's the main website and Facebook page and uh, get a copy of the book if you resonate with some of this stuff that I'm saying because we just basically touching the tip of the proverbial iceberg here Uh, it's uh it's worth checking out so thank you
0: yeah. Thank you so much. That's great. That's so much amazing information. I'm sure a lot of people will be interested in checking out your book and then also some of the other stuff that you post on Facebook. Cause there's a lot of great information um, that I've seen on your Facebook pages too. That has really resonated with me. Um, so yeah, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast and being so willing to share your expertise. Uh, I think it'll be really great for people to see a different perspective because there's so few people in the horse industry that are going about things the way that you are. Um, so it's always a privilege to be able to hear from people such as yourself.
1: Oh, Thanks a lot, Shelby. It was a privilege to be here. And I, I hope other veterinary medical professionals can find their voice with all of this as well.
0: Yeah, I hope so too. And I think change is coming just slowly, but hopefully it'll start speeding up as time goes on. Um, but yes. yeah thank you so much and have a great day I hope everyone enjoyed that discussion and once again I'm really thankful for Dr. Teske for coming on the podcast to speak with me it was super interesting and informative for anyone who is interested in ways that they can help support the podcast you can check out my online store where I sell equestrian apparel and horse bridles at shopmilestoneeq.com. that's shopmilestoneeq. Dot com, or you can subscribe to my Patreon at p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash s-d-e-q-u-u-s. I also have options on PayPal to send tips or do one-time donations to help support the podcast, since I don't put ads on this podcast. That's really the only way I make any revenue from the podcast, and I love doing these things, so I appreciate any and all support of my work and endeavors. Also, the next podcast that I'll be posting after this one is going to be a recap of my time in paris at the horse welfare conference that was hosted by collectif pour les chevaux where we talked about hyperflexion and the risk factors associated with that and even had fei officials invited to speak on that topic as well so that'll be coming up next for anyone who's interested in that but I wanted to share this one first because it's been quite delayed in getting up so anyways thank you everyone for listening and stay tuned for the next podcast and check out the links in the description of this podcast if you're interested in it in supporting me in any way thanks everyone have a great day